my the times that I learned the most were the worst times. No doubt. I mean, what I saw in the early 80s when all the banks failed here, and then what I saw in the great financial crisis, every one of these things you learn from, so you try to not make the same mistake twice. <clears throat> so you kind of say, okay, I get to I get to observe and be a student of what's going on here. And oh, let's make a big note on that one. Hello and welcome to another episode of TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council. From deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. We're kicking off this year's Legends of Commercial Real Estate series with a one-on-one conversation between Cauley Partners CEO Bill Cauley and the recently retired Mike Lafitte, who was most recently a senior executive with CBRE. Mike has been a part of the commercial real estate industry here in Dallas for nearly four decades. He joined Lincoln Property Company out of college in 1984 and was later a part of Bear Stearns and Premises Real Estate Services. In 1997, Mike joined Trammell Crow Company and served in various roles, including CEO, and in 2006 joined CBRE upon Trammell Crow Company's acquisition by CBRE. With CBRE, Mike served as CEO of the company's real estate investments business segment, CEO of the company's advisory services business segment, global group president, chief operating officer, president of the Americas region, and president of institutional and corporate services. Although Mike has been retired for about a month now, he doesn't necessarily like using the word retired. Sure, he's not with CBRE anymore, but as he tells Bill, he's still active in the business world and seeking opportunities in the community. You'll hear all about his plans for the future, his thoughts on the state of the commercial real estate industry and economy, and his words of wisdom for young professionals in just a bit. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to thank the Dallas Business Journal for sponsoring our Legends of Commercial Real Estate series. Visit bizjournals.com backslash Dallas for exclusive reporting on the hottest business topics in North Texas and get breaking news alerts and insights from Business Journal's vast network of national publications. And for more interviews with top DFW business leaders and personalities, subscribe to the Texas Business Minds podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'd also like to remind you to subscribe to our show if you haven't already done so, and make sure you're following Trek on social media and YouTube for the latest news and exclusive content from around our organization. Now, here's Bill Cauley and Mike Lafitte right here on TrackCast. Mike, I am so excited to do this with you today. You know, um, just so everybody knows, you and I have known each other a long time. Yep. I have such a high regard for you and what you've done in your career. Um, Thank you. We have um, similar interests in golf and fishing, and we're in a Bible study together on Friday morning. So I really do appreciate um, you doing this and sitting down. No, it's a pleasure. It's really yeah. a fun thing to do, especially with you. So thank you. Bill. Awesome. Well, um, well, before we turn the mic on, we're talking about how your life has changed the last four weeks. Are you liking the, the, having more freedom in your life? <laughs> well, I, I started my career in 1984 full-time. Uh, so 39 years, I guess, of you know being on a big platform. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been really, it's only been four weeks since I stepped away from CBRE and Trammell Crow Company. Um, so I find myself now having the opportunity to do things that maybe I didn't have when I was in the big corporate world and, and that, those kinds of things. So I'm still figuring it out. It's still early days for sure. Yeah. It's going to be more, more flat, probably less, less managing and more, uh, involvement with the, does that make sense? I mean, it'll be a completely different yeah, program. which is probably good, right? Yeah, it's great. No, yeah. listen, that's just what I, you know, signed so, up for. So, like, when you were a kid, I, I read all your bio and stuff, yep. and um, I, it, it said in there that when you were young, um, you thought you were going to be a banker. Mm-hmm. And so, like, growing up, I knew I was going to be in real estate. I didn't really know what it meant. My dad was in real estate. I just knew that was it. Yep. I was going to do it, and I didn't know what it meant, but that's what it said. 
So tell me how you go from, was your dad a banker? My dad I mean, was a banker. But, and I originally thought I was going to be an orthodontist. <laughs> the funny story behind this. Okay. My dad played football at SMU in the early 50s. And he played with a guy named Jerry Clem, who was our orthodontist when I was a kid growing up here in Dallas. And he had an RV. And I thought, oh, my God, this he, is awesome. this is, he, has, he has got it made. And early on, all the way through, almost through high school, I was going to go into dentistry or orthodontics. Took Latin. My mom told me I needed to take Latin to have a foundational, you know, vocabulary and all that. So that my original vision was I was going to be an orthodontist, which is crazy. Um, not crazy, but I'm glad they're orthodontists. Yeah. It was it was crazy for me. Right. So I always liked math and I always liked uh, the finance side of things. And my dad was a banker. He was after football. He served in the Air Force and flew. My two older brothers were born on Air Force bases. And then in the uh, early '60s, he started into banking in Dallas. And he was, he's still alive. He's 91. He's my hero. I was with him this morning. Um, Just an awesome man. So I grew up around banking. So that's, it was kind of my default was I was going to go do what he did. Sure. And I mean, that's kind of why I picked real estate. So how did you diverge from banking to real estate? Well, I, when I got out of undergrad from the university of Texas in 1983, I I had um, offers from some of the big banks to go into the credit training program. And I decided at the last minute to go get an MBA at SMU. And so I did that. And while I was about four months into it, I got an internship with Lincoln Property Company. Bill Duvall hired me in 19, end of 1983. And uh, I just fell in love with real estate. From that moment on, I was running numbers when I started. We had an Apple IIe computer. The IBM PC wasn't out. Right. And... Uh, uh, I remember being Scott Dabney and a, a group used to run all the numbers for Lincoln's projects, and I fell in love with real estate. Was, was it was it office, multifamily? What kind of at the time? Was? You know, at the time Lincoln was mostly office industrial. This was the commercial side, so right. du- Duval side, which was office, industrial, and retail. Because because my memory is didn't didn't you do some leasing? Didn't you? I mean, kind of touch all sides of real estate. Well, I was office. I really started. So after when I got out of school, I went to work full time with Lincoln Property Company, 1984. Right. Got married, went to work, bought a house, right. started the whole thing. And uh, really, I got in Bobby Halpin, who's a great friend. Uh, you Bobby know Bobby Halpin? Halpin. Yep. Uh, I joined his team and learned to lease office buildings and kind of tag along on development. So I, I was started on the office side and really for 15 years at Lincoln and then Bear Stearns and then Prudential, you know, until about 80, until 97, I guess. That's really, my focus was primarily office. Okay, and so how did you get from Bear Stearns or Prudential to Cebu? Did they come looking for you, or did you go looking for them? Well, it was it was Trammell Crow. I mean, I grew up with Pryor Blackwell and Chuck Anderson, and I went to school together at SMU as Tom Leiser. So I, you can't help yeah. being in Dallas, Texas, and not knowing the yeah. Trammell Crow organization. I almost joined Crow in, in Austin when I got out of school, but chose Lincoln and Dallas. And so it was, uh, Chuck was getting promoted prior and Chuck were moving up the ladder at, at Crow. And there was an opportunity to run the office uh, division for Trammell Crow Company in 1997. So that's when I joined Crow and it was there over 25 years. So we, my first job was the office partner. Um, and we'd started building office buildings again. You know, Dallas from 1986 or 87 until 1997, a decade, there wasn't an office building built here. No, they said so I was hiding. Build another one. Oh yeah, right. and so I was hiding out, you know, leasing and doing whatever I could do to raise a family and do all those things with some great institutions, a lot of opportunity, the whole RTC thing, all that. It was quite an education. You know, I remember the RTC days where they <clears throat> we were selling buildings for ten or twenty bucks a foot, and nobody mm-hmm. thought it was ever going to recover. Yeah, I Don, think one Don of th- Carter. Yeah, I think one of the things I've gotten out of all of these these dips and these up and down cycles, it sounds feels like we're going down again. There's going to be opportunity. I, I'll never there's forget. There's always going to be recovery because there was early in my career, I was fear, fearful that there wouldn't be a recovery, yep. but now we know it's going to recover, it, but they're never the same. It's always different. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget the, the RTC auctions. They had one over at Stimmons place and they were selling everything for 10 cents on the dollar. Right. And Don Carter stepped up and bought a bunch of office buildings and we thought he was crazy and he was right. brilliant. He had right. the money. He saw the price per pound and it was a massive transfer of wealth is what that whole thing was. Right. Um, so the markets overreacted and it wasn't the end of office. We'll probably talk about that. You know. Yeah, you know, there. I'm hoping, uh, one of the things that I admired in about um, through COVID was that everybody took a long view. Like yep. so lenders worked with people. Yep. They they 
deferred payments. They did things to not create a big train wreck. And I'm kind of hoping going into whatever we're going into that everybody has a long a long view instead of a just you know napalm and blowing everything up. Well, if you give it time, it all it, it recovers. recovers. Right, it recovers. I mean, if you look back on the RTC, if the if if uh, if they'd held on to those assets, been more thoughtful rather than just a fire sale, you know the the uh, the owners at the time or the federal government would have got a lot more money. Yeah. But well, it was opportunistic. I, and I you know I think through COVID. Even though we printed too much money, I think having the long view and working with people, we pretty much skirted through that. If we yep. wouldn't have, pretty amazing. Stimulated, right? Well, I mean, just think. I mean, our industry did really well through COVID. It's kind of amazing. Technology kicked in. In, you know, we, we had. It was a non-event for our firm. We just kept going. Yeah, it was just great. It was amazing. And and all the big changes that they thought would would come out of COVID are coming, but they're delayed, right? right. Like the yep. back to work and, right. and uh, work from home. I'm going to get into yeah. that. So um, before I leave your dad, tell me about your parents. It seems like, you know, everybody I've ever met like you that has the success you've had has really good role models in their, in their life and really tight relationships with their parents. Tell me, you've told me a little bit about your dad, but tell me about your parents and your siblings. I know yeah. one of your brothers. Well, I'm blessed in a huge way in, in the family uh, department and, and starting with the parents. My father uh, was from Port Arthur, Texas. He he was a good football player, went to SMU, Air Force and all that stuff. Just a man of incredible integrity and, you know, well-known as a, as a really leader in banking, small banks. He was yeah. the president of North Dallas Bank for sure. years, um, started a bank called Cornerstone Bank in the 80s. Sure. Um, it ended up selling to Compass, which is now BBVA, which is now PNC. But he was just a very principled man and and still is to this day. Uh, my mom, we lost her way too early. She was 54 in 1987 when she passed. But but they were both just incredible. She was from a little town, uh, Graham, Texas, out in West Texas, and they, they met at SMU. And my mom was kind of the glue. She was the social chairman, kept she us all together. Young. She died young. Yeah, cancer. Cancer. Yeah, it was it was tragic. But they were both. They were incredibly. I grew up in a very strong Christian home. I was going to ask if faith was a part of your. Oh, dad's. huge. We yeah. were we were members at First Baptist Church, Doctor Criswell. Sure. You know, we we were there front and center every Sunday. Awesome. I mean, we were. Right. That was a very very big part. My mom was a spiritual uh, giant, and uh, prayer and scripture reading and all that. So we grew up in a home that that's always been part of my life right. and uh to this day it's kind of been the foundation of my life and and one of the, and the most important thing and uh but family certainly close behind but i was really it was just an awesome upbringing and uh in in principle and character and all that my father went on uh, remarried several years uh after my mom passed and he's he's had two amazing marriages for over 30 years so it's uh he's just a an awesome guy and i've got two brothers the whole family is here, um, pretty much. We've got my, between me and my brothers, we've got eight kids, and seven of the eight are in Dallas. So, it's pretty unique, kind pretty of close family. Very close family. So really tell, tell me about Melinda and your kids and grandkids. Yeah, Melinda and I've been married thirty nine years. We met in in the University of Texas. Got married right after she graduated, and I graduated. She's from Houston. Uh, just my best friend, and just awesome. She's never had a bad day. Just she's awesome. Just a great woman. Again, strong faith, selfless, and just awesome. So we've had a, a an incredible marriage. We got three kids and two grandkids. So all the kids are all here. Oldest daughter Amy, uh, Blake, and uh, our youngest daughter Laura. And uh, Blake and Laura are both uh, married. No kids yet, but we're hoping soon. And Amy's got two uh, little kids. And how old are the grandkids? Five and six, and they're awesome. Such, I, I just got my grandkids just moved here from Illinois. They're ten the and twelve. Yeah, Sutton and Wilder. They're, they're so awesome. They make bring a lot of joy to our totally. family. Yeah, totally. it's awesome. So, um, you know, like one of the things I've always admired about you is your principle and, and how you do things, and I really think that does tie back to your faith. I'm one that came to faith late in life. Yep, uh, I know your in story. My, in my mid-40s. And so, and I know how much different I am because of my relationship mm -hmm. with God. And um, I just ha have always... I mean, um, just respected the tie-in on on the on the uh, the qualities that come with a man of strong faith, and I commend you for that. Well, it's uh, it's been a great source of hope for me and foundation just for 
my own beliefs. It's it's been interesting as as you navigate through life, and especially in a in big companies, big public companies, you know, you've, you you're navigating through a lot sure. of of things, just like the world. You yeah, know, these everybody's are, got different views. Right? Completely. Um, I, I was reminded, you know, the, I, I always thought, you know, the greatest one of the greatest commandments for, you know, coming out of our faith is the, is the commandment to love. And Trammell himself was asked years ago in, a, in an article, a pretty famous article, where he said, "What what motivates you?" And he said one word, love. You know, if you think about the commandment of just loving others and respect right. and all that it brings right. um, out of a faith context into a work context or a community context, right. it's just there's so many ripple effects of how you could define that. You know, right. And I always thought about how Trammell himself talked about it. It was, you know, he loved the business, he loved the competition, he loved his partners, he loved people, he loved deals, yeah. he loved making money, and yeah. all those things, you know. But it's yeah. it's uh, it's been certainly a big part of my life just like, just like it is yours. Yeah. Well, I, and I think it boils down to doing the right thing, right? Yep. Just uh, being focused not only on yourself, but everybody involved, just making it work for everybody. With a, with a deep, hopefully a deep sense of humility and, and knowing that we all blow it from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think I'm a big, I run from big egos. Yep. I just do. And because I think the success that we all have had, whatever we've had, we're lucky. To have it. Now, I'm not saying we haven't earned it, but it doesn't make us any better than anybody else. Yep. And I, and whenever I get around somebody that is kind of puffy, I tend to, to be, keep a distance. You know, I just think, I think humility is one of the greatest qualities oh, it is. anybody can have. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't have confidence, but it, no. but it, but it's, uh, I've always loved the, I, you know, just the idea of servant leadership. You know, the leaders, they eat last. You know, they're, they're not there for, themselves they're there for the enterprise and the team totally. and uh, I believe that I've, I've had the privilege of, of working in a place where I think that's really been that's, that's awesome. been the model yeah we'll continue our talk with Mike and Bill in just a moment but first I have to tell you about our next Bank of Texas speaker series guest it's none other than Dallas Cowboys legend Troy Aikman Join us Wednesday, May 24th at the Hilton Anatole as Cauley Partners CEO Bill Cauley goes one-on-one with the Hall of Fame quarterback, discussing his life and career beyond his days on the gridiron. Tickets are now available at recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. That's recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. Now, let's get back to the show. So COVID. Yeah. So like COVID for me, I got more balance. So I, you know, I, my wife kept, Keely kept telling me, Bill, you're, you're missing the journey. You're running from fire to fire. You're not experiencing life. It's so I think what COVID did for me is that slow down those 90 days when we were, is to be more balanced and to enjoy the ride more than just trying to get to where I was going in a hurry. And I think I got more handy around the house, <laughs> which is kind of weird. I, like if something was broke, I would never try it. I got on YouTube and started fixing stuff. Yeah. So what happened? Any changes in you that from COVID? Well, the biggest change would be travel. You know, I, I had a job for something, I guess, since 2000, really. Um, I was all over the globe all the time on a plane every, almost every week. Right. 300,000 plus miles a year on American Airlines. So travel, when that stops, all of a sudden... I'm home also, or I'm wherever I am, you know, out walking and, and taking calls, you know, on a long walk or a Zoom or whatever. So it was dramatic change. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to, literally, I don't think I've taken more than a week or 10 days off in my life uh, since I've been working, literally. And I I, uh, I just enjoyed work and took plenty of time to go do things I wanted to do, but never for an extended period of time. COVID almost gave you this kind of right. time. It was, it was almost like being a half on a sabbatical Everybody was still working, but you're working in such a different environment. Right. And, the, you know, my closet full of suits, I don't even know what I'm going to do with them anymore. But it was just, I'm okay you know, with that. We were, we were coat and tie suited up, yep. you know, for decades. And so it was a change in lifestyle. And, and I think we all realize, I've talked with, you know, Bob Selenik, our CEO of CBRE. We, you know, in travel, we, we decided, you know, for it, there's a point in time when you've got to do all that travel. For sure. As a global leader, you've got to know the team, you've got to understand the culture, you've got to know the know the business, but you don't have to just keep making those laps. And you can you can slow it down. And Zoom really proved, or what, or really Microsoft Teams or whatever you're on, um, you know, it worked, and it really changed a lot. And it, it just efficient with your time. Was it hard for you to go back to the grind after you had that little break? 
No, no, gosh, no. I was totally ready. I mean, we, you know, we were, we were more cautious going back as a company. Um, You know, I saw a lot of private, smaller companies. You know, they never hardly ever left. We never did. But we never stopped working. We were working full time, and so the pace didn't really slow down. The the way you worked was different, and and being home and not traveling gave you more. It gave you more time. Right. Right. So fitness, you know, everybody all of a sudden you had more reason to work on those kinds of things, which was great. Okay, so I think we kind of won the lottery being in Dallas. Now, I know you've been doing business globally for a long time. Yep. I kind of focus my business in Dallas. Um, so I really think we're lucky to be here. I think the immigration, whatever's going to happen in this economy, my opinion is it's going to be a little bit better than most places just because of the immigration and the pro-business and growth right. atmosphere we've got here. But, What's your view of Dallas and the future of Dallas? Oh, I think it's just like you. I think it's this is the place to be. I'm so fortunate. I think we're also fortunate to be here because you're in a marketplace that's pro-business, all those things. Right. You know, the things that I think are that are important to, to keep the city just to keep focused on. And I'm not real political, but, you know, education is huge. Um, and we just got to keep pushing that infrastructure. A lot, of, a lot of things going on around infrastructure. The airport, you know, I don't even know how you put a value on DFW Airport in terms of just the connectivity. Totally. You know, the way I, for my career, is unbelievable. Um, but, you know, safety, crime, all those things are important. Um, southern sector, really making it a better place for everybody is going to be really, really important. But the yeah. growth of Dallas, the prospects, the future is incredibly bright. I don't know that I'd want to be in any other market. Yeah. Texas, you know, you start with just Texas is great. But when you kind of look at all the markets and the diversity of Dallas, it is uh, of, of our economy, it's incredible. You know, and, and I mean, um, I, the one thing that, that having come from being truck chair is trying to activate South Dallas. Yep. You know, I do think that South Dallas is disconnected yep. and trying to figure out. But I think there's a lot of effort being made today to kind of close that gap and figure out how to reactivate South Dallas. Yeah. Um, but I just think the can-do attitudes in Dallas, um, I mean, this, this I think the star is going to shine. Well, the other big time. difference is, you know, Dallas for the, through the 80s and into the 90s didn't get the, the institutional respect from right. investors. And today, and and today it's all on the top of the list. Totally. So, you know, we were wildly overbuilt. I mean, it, we went from... 50 million square feet of office to 120 million between 1979 and 1985. Right. We more than doubled our office stock, which yeah. was, it was crazy. Of course, the tax laws drove all that, but we we're, were much more attractive for capital. And that means also jobs, which is tied to education, all those other things. So it's just, it is so well positioned. So um, I'm going to, what, what has changed? What do you think has fundamentally changed in real estate from, Kind of one of the things I, I think the market's a lot more efficient. Yep. Like when we were like when I was in my thirties, there was a lot of gaps that you could kind of see where something's inefficient and go try to take advantage of it. Or now with information, it's just so efficient. Well, I remember my I still had my red notebook walking buildings and getting lease expirations. Right. We didn't have those. Right. Now you've got CoStar. Right. You you know you've got that. So technology and information right. is everywhere. Right. Um, so when I think about what's changed, first of all, I, over my career, I'd start with it's just more institutional. I mean, way more institutional and grown up. You know, when, it, when in the 80s, the developers, it was just borrow as much as you can, kiss the paper, yep. sign the note, who cares? Right. And, you know, I, I watched all my heroes almost go broke, or they many of them did. So it's now there's real equity in these projects. Yep. Um, so the, it's just become way more institutionalized. And you've seen this too, more specialization. You you know, you used to be able to be a generalist. Yeah. You could do be a land person in the mo- in the morning. You could do retail in the afternoon. The next day you work on something else. Specialization, and that's true in brokerage. That's true in development. That's true everywhere. So totally the deep. sectors have gotten, people have gotten deep with right. expertise. Right. And that, and capital has followed that, that segmentation in a huge way. So I think the structure there, and I think there's, there's also to some extent, to a large extent, I think capital has done its job, keeping supply and demand in check where, you know, there were other things like tax laws that, that caused development to happen for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I agree. So I think having that balance... So a deal needs to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And technology, you know, you have to put technology on the list of things. That's, yeah. It hasn't changed the game. You know, we've looked over every 
five years look at, you know, what are the disruptors? What's going to come in and, and blow up the world? You know, WeWork was going to try to do that. They didn't. But it's, it's uh, our industry is still very, I won't say old school, but it's very bricks and mortar. And it is, there hadn't been dramatic change. Mm -hmm. But you can look at technology and the way it's changed the logistics business and the retail business. Oh. And, and you can say, look back 10 or 20 years, look at the clear height and what the technology does and what's going on inside those warehouse facilities or distribution. So yeah. there's there's all of that, that to be attentive to. Um, but at, at the end of the day, capital really matters and the supply-demand balance really matters. You know, I've always been like a believer that any deal that has merit will find capital. Yeah. And I think you're right. I it think, may need time. Right. But I mean, like in our early career, there were a lot of tax, there were deals being done for, for the wrong reason for all the wrong for reasons. tax reasons yeah and now but i mean i you know like i've had people come graze a fund do this do that and i've just always believed if the thing has merit Agreed. and if really smart people don't want to do it maybe you should start wondering if you should be doing it yeah you know yeah. so I'm, I'm gonna go now office so okay. i was in a, a meeting this morning with some architects like i get invited to all these meetings where people bought all this land up north and they want to build eight office buildings on a site and there's 30 guys trying to do the same thing and um i know it's different right and i don't think i think we've overcorrected i'm hoping that we get to some happy meeting but i'd love to get your view on office and what you think the office is going to look like in the future yeah well i don't have the answer i've got my opinion I mean, um, that's what i want your opinion <laughs> well first of all I, don't, I, I do believe in the office as a fundamental uh, sector uh in, in real estate it's i mean it's huge um institutions still are going to want to have exposure to it the workplace still needs it people still want and need a place to yeah. to come together but it's but it definitely has changed and, and you know the u.s is i think different than other parts than some other parts of the world. I mean, some other parts of the world we're seeing, you know, higher rates of return to office in parts of Asia and Europe for life reasons or for demographic reasons. Um, you know, if you've got you live in a small apartment, in, you know, in Hong Kong or somewhere in Asia, you can't work effectively from home. Right. You know, in the U.S. in a sprawling suburban home or an apartment that's got a community, you know, it, it, we've got more space. You've got more ability to be flexible. So I think the U.S is probably uh, more challenged with this than, than mm -hmm. any. But as you know, there is this flight to quality. There's this flight to where's there, where's there an experience and where are there amenities and all those things. And all the large occupiers are now trying to figure out how can we use our workplace as a draw to make, number one, to be a differentiator for our, right. you know, this war for labor still. Make it more experiential. Totally. Right. And um, so the, the the employers are still fighting that, war of talent and how do we get it and attract it and retain it and how do we make the workplace part of that ingredient and people want flexibility there's there's no doubt it's not gonna be, i don't think we're ever going back to five days i don't even, you know a week so do you, do you think productivity is the same i think it depends on the job function i build office buildings so i want the answer to be no <laughs> but so but i, I think, think there's all right. kinds of research that says that it, it's actually depending on the job totally depending on what you're doing right but there's this draw and this this basic human need to be together. Right. So even, even if you kind of shrink the footprint by 10 or 15% or whatever the number it is you think it's going to settle out on, it's still going to be um, – it, it's still a valid segment. And there's – in the demand, we're seeing it everywhere. The new product is getting leased. Yeah. And people I, will pay a premium. And we've seen this forever. Compare Uptown Dallas rates – to, to the core CBD. Yeah, I mean, it's two to three times the price. I mean, it's two blocks away. It's crazy. And people pay. Totally. So they'll say, I'll take less space. I'll be more efficient. Yeah. But I'm going to be where I can bring talent to my, this company. Totally. And that's just... You know, and Uptown's got a, uh, a view of being walkable, but not all of it is. But, I mean, it's not. No. But, but it is the best... It's more drivable. Right. It's the best <laughs> It's the best submarket. But there's a lot of congestion in Uptown. But, yeah. But... I, I totally agree. I, I think um, what we're seeing is people reducing in size by 20 to 30%, mm -hmm. but going up in rent 60%. Yeah. So they're going from marginal to do or it. a dated building, taking less space, but paying a lot more rent. Because yeah. they, they want, I don't know if it's a lure, but they just want to create a place that people want to come to. Yeah. The B and C space is going to be tough. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be commodity office is going to be tough for 
maybe it comes back. Maybe, the, you know, these things do swing. Yeah, it's you never know? what you think it's going to no. be. I mean, I don't know how you turn a tilt wall building into multifamily, but I think there's going to be. Well, that's, you know, the mess. conversions are interesting. We've got right. a lot of that going on in downtown yeah. um, with what Sean Todd and Jonas are doing. So, you know, that's interesting to follow all that. Totally. It's great but, for the market. But, you know, the one thing about those is they still have 300,000 square feet of office space there. And it's it must not be a needle mover in their in their overall budget, because you're like, is that three hundred thousand feet going to lease? You know, right. I hope that's not the needle mover. Well, there, we got some big buildings down there. We got two of them at one point eight million square feet. Yeah, I used to lease of, both of them when I was right. in my. And I have <laughs> so much uh, respect for anybody that'll take on a deal like that. That's unbelievable. So, what economy? Interest mm -hmm. rates? What's going on in the economy? You think this is just going to be bad and long? And I'm just looking for your view. Do you think this is 18 to two year part problem? What do you think it is? Uh, you know, it, it, that time frame probably is fits with I think the general consensus. You know, a, a lot of people. My advice would be, you know, be prepared for interest rates to stay high longer. Just I be prepared. So. I do too. Because I'd rather plan on that and then be pleasantly surprised. There's nothing that says that they've got to go back to where they were. I don't know that they ever will. There was almost I don't free money, so and you might argue that they shouldn't, you know, what the market doesn't like is the volatility. And what we've seen, this, this was so, this such a rapid rise so fast right. that it was just so disruptive and it put a lot of people on the sidelines, put capital on the sidelines, impacted value. There's no question. You know, when I got in the business, you know, I remember we had first, um, we had a joint venture, uh, with a, a life company on an office building at 15% coupon rate. That was the interest rate on the loan. 15%. And you could make it make sense? Yeah, it penciled. <laughs> of course, inflation was going, right. you know, was right. extremely high. Right. Yeah, so it's it's almost like there's a college for everyone. <laughs> if rates settle down, the markets will reset. And so if a developer says, I need to spread on yield on cost over a, a, an exit cap, then you can say, well, fine. But just when does it settle down so I can have some confidence in knowing that I can build into this Right into this environment and know that you know that there's a profit at the end of the day. So, the the volatility is what it, what scares everybody. And, and and but the interest rate increase is extremely real. If you're on variable, if, totally. you, if you're not fixed rate, you're getting Hammer. you're you're feeling it right. big time. Well, and and I think the thing that the piece that I didn't consider is the volatility and the stability of the banking system. Right, because really these banks. They were paying nothing for deposits. Now they're paying up for deposits. There's no money turning over because there's no exit to sell. So everything's kind of in a log jam. And uh, well, it was, was the SNL. We saw the same thing with the SNL in the '80s. There was a mismatch. There was a mismatch of maturities. I know. You know, you're short on deposits. You're long on 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 bonds, and that, that right. and when it swings the way it swings, it doesn't work well. I got to tell you, I never thought we'd go back there. And it, we were there in a nanosecond. And it was almost like the market was surprised. Right. It's like, oh, really? The banks have some of these banks have some right. And bonds. I was playing golf with wealthy people that that we all know they're successful people. On on a Saturday after all this uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and they're all going to you know go get all their money out of the local banks. And I'm going, you know, it's just it, you know the, the information flow is unbelievable, and the way we react today is just crazy. Yeah. It just there's a lot of volatility. Well, the the, the community banks, the regional banks, the mid-sized banks—they're all extremely important to our communities <clears throat> and to real estate. Right, and we got to have stability there completely. Okay, so best lesson learned in your career? Uh, you know, this—I think that it's just that probably it's around the cycles. I mean, there's there's all kinds of advice you could kind of look back and say to people, you know, do this, and we'll talk about some of those ideas maybe too. I think just being consistent and, you know, being ready for the cycles is probably the best lesson right. because, you know, they come. And, oh, by the way, in the down markets, you can, you can as a broker, you can make, you know, your, your advice and your worth to a client is more valuable. And, and the other lesson than, than in, in the boom times because you're really now solving problems that need to get solved. Right. Um, you're not just being creative and going and finding a deal. But so I, you know, I found... My, the times that I learned the most were the worst times. No doubt. I mean, what I saw in the early 80s when all the banks failed here, and then what I saw in the great financial crisis, every one of these things you learn from, so you try to not make the same mistake twice, 
So you kind of say, okay, I get to I get to observe and be a student of what's going on here, and oh, let's make a big note on that one. You know, let's let's not. But you know, every time I, I've been through all the same cycles as you have, and every time I've been, I'm not going to forget that. But then, like going into this one, I said, okay, I want you to stress everything we own. Tell me where debt service coverage ratios are. But I was looking at a building that was valued at a seven on levered return. I'm just making up a return. Right. And I never contemplated going to a 10 or an 11 or a 12 on levered return. Right. Because you can't underwrite for that right. if that's where we're going. Right. Because, you know, the only thing you have to be able to do there is pay cash for it if you think it, it makes sense. Yeah. So I'm just hoping people take more of a long view till this settles down because it makes... But my point is, is like, I'm always looking for where the problems are. The easy stuff is finding where you can make money, yeah. but it's where somebody going to surprise you. And every time, even though I've been through all this, there's still, there's still outliers that come in that you just go, yeah. you know, I didn't consider that. Yeah. You know, you got to just got to play for the long game. You know, that's, it's, uh, the cycles do come and go, but, but you can, companies can do well through those cycles. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been interesting just to observe kind of what's happened to the industry and the, the companies. And I was privileged to be a part of one that became, you know, really biggest, big yeah. and, and dominant in the marketplace and always pushing to get better, you know, always pushing to get better. And that's that's a that's just I think it's inherent in kind of the DNA of, I think, our business, you yeah. know, and it's it has gotten better. I mean, the information's gotten better. The services have gotten better. I mean, everything's gotten so much I go back to institutionalized, but gotten better. But push, really, always pushing. Yeah, that was one of the other big lessons. Is just, you know, don't don't rest on your laurels. Don't just keep right. getting better. But it's a uh, it's an awesome industry. It is. So um, this doesn't need to be real estate related. This can be in anything. Most visible opportunity you see that you don't think anybody's taking advantage of. Yeah. Well, you know, there's everybody's looking for the distressed deals right now, and they're not out there. No. I just had lunch today with a big investor, and you know they're not that, they're not out there. Everybody, there's opportunities on the debt side. You know, people are jumping in to say, right. "I can take this mess piece," or yeah. you know, because you can get paid pretty well mm -hmm. without taking a lot of risk in the stack. Mm -hmm. So th that seems to be. You almost has to go go asset class by asset class mm -hmm. to really answer where is their opportunity. Industrial still still hanging in there, doing well. Now we've got a lot going on here. I mean, a lot being built in Dallas, so I think we ought to be careful right. with that. But there'll be there'll be opportunity in office for sure, but just because of the the fear out there, it won't be as bad as it looks long term. Right. Um, you know, it's interesting also looking at public versus private. You know, I'd say watch the pri watch the publics because the publics they tend to react and they get marked down like overnight, forty percent, thirty percent. Right. And they always overreact. Right. So some of that's already opportunity right. lost because right. the way the markets trade. But I think people always are look, thinking about, oh, i got to invest in private real estate. But that's really not true. <laughs> the public markets are wide open, and you can look for great companies, great sponsors, and some of it's on sale. Right, and you've got total liquidity at any time. You do. Right? You're not making a long-term bet right. there. So um, I think, uh, do you think institutional investors are going to reduce their allocations in office because if they do i think there's going to be some quality office gets sold at really i think they prices. yeah i do think they will i, I think they, they are yeah. yeah they are they're, they're rebalancing everything just because the denominator effect to begin with but yes i think that that will be i mean multi and multifamily and industrial still are kind of one and two yeah 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 i i, I mean it's just amazed me how long Multifamily has been solid. It's crazy, and it's under pressure. It's going yeah. to be under pressure, but it's not like no. You look at this is where fundamentals get back to mattering. You, have a you know, you got single, low single digit vacancies, so it's it's not like you've, you. We still have housing issues, right? But there's now inflationary pressures and other things that will prevent the rent growth that we've seen, right? But it's still it's still a, it's still a great product. You know, it doesn't have, you know doesn't eat capital like office buildings do. You know, when you retenant office buildings, totally. it's expensive. Totally. When you retenant a apartment, it's not so no. expensive. No. Paint it. <laughs> a little carpet and paint. Right. You got it. You got it. Tickets are now on sale for this year's Young Guns Casino Night, coming up on Thursday, May 4th.
Casino Night is Trek's premier spring networking event for young commercial real estate professionals here in Dallas, with proceeds benefiting the 2023 Young Guns Community Investors Project. Join us for an evening of casino-style gaming, music, and raffles with a groovy disco theme. Get your tickets now at recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. Again, that's recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. Now, let's get back to our talk with Bill Cauley and Mike Lafitte. So um, I'm sure you got a lot of young people coming out of college wanting to get in the real estate business, mm-hmm. come talk to you, looking for advice, direction. Um, what advice do you have for a young person trying to break into the real estate business? Yeah, I've, I've always said, you know, first of all, just get get with a great sponsor. You know, don't get the right, get the right get, the totally. platform matters. When you yeah, start, totally. the platform matters. Um, my Lincoln Property Company start launched my career and it was great. Great name, great people. Um, secondly, it would be get some people that want to invest in you. Mm-hmm. That really a mentor, a leader, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I'd also would say uh, be a student, just like I said earlier, be a student in this. You don't know exactly what you'll be doing five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. So kind of absorb, right. absorb it all. Work, work really hard. You yeah. know, there's, there's no substitute for that. There's also no substitute for compromising your values ever. Right. I can think of some situations over my career where I was either asked to or put in a position. Um, and I'm so far from perfect or anything, but it's, your reputation is cumulative, and then over time, just doing the simple the blocking and tackling, um, it's just really important. But I, I would say, you know, and ultimately you, you'll you'll need to specialize and get famous for something. Yeah. I was talking to a young um, company in uh, another city last week, and they were doing four or five, trying to do four or five things with a small company. And I said, you know, one thing to step back. Get get famous for one, maybe two things, a, a close adjacency. Right. But the idea of being a journalist and doing everything, that, that's really hard. So right. great sponsor. Get people that care about you. Learn and absorb. You know, Trammell himself used to sit in the middle of the floor with no office, no walls, nothing, because he wanted everybody to you know be able to absorb. Which, which I was, think is smart. It was. Well, there's times when you've got to have some privacy. Yeah. But it's um, those would be. You know, in 07, 08, 09, I, uh, I had all my assets were good basis. But I was over levered. Mm. So my lesson in that one was leverage. Oh, yeah. But I was scared, right? So I would go talk to banks. And this was right after, you know, I had my motorcycle accident. So yeah. I'm like in this new world of, of my faith. And, and so um, I was scared. And I'd go talk to these banks. And uh, Brian Neitzel, my partner, I would talk to him. And I'd go, Brian, just keep me in the black and the white and out of the gray because I'm scared. Yeah. And I would go into meetings and I would just be totally transparent. And it totally disarmed them. Yeah. Because <laughs> they weren't used to it. Yeah. I mean, if it was bad, I'd tell them it was bad. No, but, the truth always works. Right. And I just was transparent. And it was such a freeing experience because then we got to figuring it out. Instead of, you know, trying to figure out what it was, I just, here's yeah. what it is. Yeah. So let's figure out what we do. Call it what it is. So I think, I think that's really good advice. Well, that's the importance of communication again, good, clear communication. So, who's been your most influential professional mentor? Clearly, I'd start with my dad, Daryl yeah. Lafitte. I mean, he's, um, as I said earlier, he's just a man of incredible integrity and my hero and just a friend to so many people in this city. He'd be number yeah. one. You know, Bill Duval would be probably the most second influence because it was, it was those early years, you know, him and Bobby Hoppin and, and that Lincoln team. I learned so much there. What they um, And then, I, you know, through my, Trammell Crow and CBRE days, you know, obviously I've worked with incredible team there, so many of which came out of the Trammell Crow company, Bob Selenik, and, and so many others. Um, those first two that I mentioned, though, just in terms of early impression. So my dad, you know, he, he told me how to live life. Yeah. Bill Duval, it was work ethic. I mean, I mean you, were, you were expected to be there early and, and work hard and give 12 hours a day or whatever. Yeah. But it was, uh, those were those were the... Yeah, that's, those Biggest are two people. beauties, right? My yep. my dad was my hero, and my you know, um, um, I looked up to my dad, and uh, my dad was a small time real estate guy. Yep. But I learned so much from him, and it, his he didn't have as strong a faith, yep. I, and as your father and your upbringing, but he was a man of principle, 
and uh, doing the right thing. And um, I just learned a ton, and yeah. I, I just admired him and looked up to him, and and uh, I miss him every day. He's he was cool. Yeah. So uh, real estate diversity. Mm-hmm. Tell me, let's talk about it. Well, I'd start with just you know, and I, I think everybody would agree with this. Our industry needs to do much better. I mean, yeah. the, the importance of diversity is is um, is huge for the world, for our country, for our city, for our companies. Right. Um, and we we have to be intentional about driving that diversity. It needs to be real. Too. It needs to be real. Um, and we need to look outside of our sector, you know, for because it's easy to just say, oh, well, there's no diversity. If I want to try to go take diverse candidates from X, Y, and Z, are my top competitors, th- you know, there's not enough there. So you've got to go say, okay, no, we're going to go to the consulting firms. We're going to go into the architectural firms. We're going to look at engineering backgrounds. We're going to go to, you know, uh, different institutions, different different schools mm-hmm. um, to, to go try to find that. So I, I think we've got to be intentional, um, and it will make us better. It does. Diversity makes you better. Totally. We started a thing, just diverse interviewing panels. You can do simple things in companies to just make sure, okay, you got a, a key open position. Let's make sure that it's not just, you know, three people that look alike, you know, doing interviews. Let's put a diverse panel together to fill that job. And I've been involved in several of those, and it makes a difference. Different thinking, different inputs, and always with great outcomes. So you mean different decisions because it's it's a different makeup of the people. Yeah, it's, it's just not some automatic default. They were. This is the this is the candidate, or this is the profile of the candidate. So, like, it, when you were at Crow and CB, mm-hmm. it's a bigger company, so mm-hmm. I'm sure it's front and center. Like, I'm a, I've got a hundred people. Yeah. But and I have wanted um, to help people of color or our minorities in 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 real estate, and ha- have just not really figured out how to do it, other than like, you know, go searching for those candidates, but. You know, it seems like like if you just sit there and wait for people to come to you, like because I get all these college kids coming looking for work, they're, they all look the same. They're all white, you know, Caucasian. You don't see a lot of diversity in the candidates that come walking in our door. Well, that's where you have to change where, where you know where and how you're looking, right. and because there's there's organizations that that are out, you know, helping support, promote, and advise, you know, strong diverse candidates that are, that are worthy of consideration that are out there. So you've yeah. just got to be. You've got to be intentional. You've got to say this is a, this is something we're going to put our money behind. We're going to put our time behind it, and we're going to go get resources to help us get. They're out there. Those things are out there. Right, right. But our industry's got a long way to go, and and it's like anything. The first thing you got to do is acknowledge it and and not try to sugarcoat it. Don't make excuses. Just say we're just not going to accept anything other than getting better. Right. And I, I think in the last three years, it's more upfront and center than it's ever been it in is. my career, it which is. I think is a really good thing. Yep. Well, you know, just the, the whole concept of diversity, obviously diversity of ethnicity, diversity of education, diversity of thinking. Yeah. Think about any, any healthy companies uh, should be diverse. Any, totally. your, your personal financials should totally. be diverse. Totally. That, that mix works. That's, right. That's, uh, it's just, it really works in life. Yeah. I actually am starting to think that, um, not everybody needs to go get a college degree either. You know, I mean, I, I, it used to be the baseline for everyone. Now I want, my, I mean, it's weird. I just said that and I want my kids to get a degree, but, but, um, you know, I know a lot of talented people that, that, uh, weren't great students that I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, but education is, a, is still a, it's a fundamental, oh, got it. you know, right. uh, part of, I think society and success and everything else, but. Okay, so what are you most excited about on this next phase? Well, first would just be kind of a little bit of a different balance, perhaps, in life, just not, you know, on a big platform. Um, I'm not using the retirement word just because yeah. I, I plan on staying active in the community, active. I just went on a for-profit board uh, based in Idaho I'm excited about. Uh, so I'm going to be looking for places where I can, you know, add value yeah. with given my experience and what I've, I've been so fortunate to be able to do over my career. Uh, but also enjoy life a little bit differently and more, uh, and, and not more because I've had an awesome life um, and, a, and an incredible career and people and all that stuff. But it'll be different. I mean, when you're all of a sudden, you're kind yeah. of independent. You know, I used to tell myself when I turned 50, I'd go work for myself. Well, 62 and 12 years late to that party. Yeah. But, but, uh, but it's, uh, 
I'm excited about so many aspects. I mean, you could say find places in the community where you can make a difference, kind of go, it's kind of like Bob Buford's book, you know, that halftime book, which says uh, you want to go from working on success to significance. Uh, some places where you could pour your life into that line up with where you want to spend time and, uh, and hopefully try to make a difference and add some value and have a little bit of fun. We've got, we've got those two little grandkids, hopefully more. Totally. Some of those kinds of things, fishing and golf, I love. I'm not good at either one of them. So this board, how much time do you think that'll take of it? Like, oh, you know, it's a typical private. It's a private board, but it's quarterly meetings. You know, it'll okay, be, but it'll it's be some not travel. Be a forty uh, percent of your work. Oh day. no, 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 no. Yeah, no. And so, so, have you woke up yet in the morning with nothing? With not out of plan? Did it panic you? Uh, <laughs> no plane to catch. No. No, you just go. Oh. Linda, let's go have a so, cup of coffee. So far, we've we've traveled quite a bit and had had some fun for the last three or four weeks. So it's it had, there's no panicking going on. It's it's, uh, it's very different. You know, the email traffic slows down and right. all that stuff. But it's, it's uh, got to be great. There's a life. Though. Yeah, there's there's a life out. You know, outside. I haven't talked to too many, and I'm afraid to quit. I'm you know I'm 69. I'm yeah. I just really still get excited on Sunday night. I can kind of get ready for Monday, and and I know I have more balance. You know, I, yeah. I'm not. You it's, do, you do, you work for, I mean, you've got your own company. And you, yeah, but yeah. I mean, and, but I just can't imagine just playing golf every day or fishing or, I just can't no do way. that. I, I, you know, yeah. and I love or, it. By the way, going back to the faith thing, retirement's not a concept you'll find in the Bible. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, not. I agree. <laughs> it's and not. I, I, think, I think it extends our life to stay active yeah. and stay, I think as a man, my whole identity is my work, Right. And I think you have to have a purpose, and yeah. and uh, I just think it. But it doesn't mean you can't have the next season where it's you know totally. It, it, it's it's a different. You're on a different yeah. trajectory and doing different things. Yeah. But staying active, I think I think that it could be anything. It could be 100 percent community related stuff. But you're active. You're doing things and and, and find ways but, to relax and unwind and so do, do the things. So do you think you'd be more entrepreneurial? If you can, uh, probably a little cool. bit, you know, I, I would think I, I'm not going to go, you know, bet the farm on one yeah. spec office building somewhere. Yeah. But I, I, uh, I want to do, I want to start a chicken franchise or anything like oh, that. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Start a winery. Lafay, I've got a good name for a winery. There you <laughs> go. That's funny. Okay. So, uh, when your career's over, what's the most important thing? I think it'd be similar to the comments I've made about my father, just that you've left a legacy. I, I had a f high school football coach uh, here in Dallas named Frank Beavers. He said, always leave the program better than you found it. Right. And uh, so, you know, you want the legacy to be, you know, well done, good and faithful servant kind of a thing at the end. That's the hope and the aspiration is that, that you serve well, that you live well, that you give well, right. um, and that you do it with integrity and purpose. Yeah. And it's not about the dollar. It's not at all about the dollar. It's about, you know, how do you hand a generation behind that's going to go behind a, a name that they'll be hopefully proud to be part of. And, and, uh, and, and it, you know, we also, in our business, we do build things and we create communities and we, we uh, create places and all those things. And, and so being part of real estate is being a part of the fabric of a community, a city. Yeah. And that's a cool thing to be in. You know, I hear people talk about, like, building a legacy and, you know, having lost parents, you know, you die, everything that was important to them, you pick through a few things and then everything goes on a garage sale, the sun comes up the next day, and you, you talk about, it's the memories, it's not the stuff, right, and it's, and it's, it's really about, there is no legacy, it's just the relationships and the people you've affected and how you left the world when you go. I'll give you a funny analogy. Going through this transition uh, of leaving the big platform and all that stuff, I was a very organized person. I have always been that way. I know where everything is. I've got a file for everything. The way I managed all my email, I had a file and I filed and do I, I probably, in hindsight, probably wasted a lot of time. And it just dawned on me as I was handing all of my equipment back to the company, I had 25 years of worth of information. Every client, all this stuff, and no one will ever look at that no. those files again. It's going to go on a shelf. Completely. Now, totally. I, I've said to make myself feel better, it helped me manage my business and my the way I operated well because I could find things and I was organized. It worked for me. But all that information, to your point, it's it's on a hard drive somewhere that's right. never going to be looked at again. Right. So it's like okay, it's right. you know there's you know like I've had people that are influential in my life and they've passed and it's hard when they pass. And every once in a while, their name will come up, and you talk to them about fun. But it's it's about experiences. It's not about 
And it's never been about really, well, it's maybe about what they accomplished, but it's more about the intimacy or the relationship that was created with that person that makes you remember them, yeah. right? And, and it's about, I just hope hitting the, when I take the dirt nap that I, I've, I've given more than I've taken, you know? I'm reading a book now uh, from Arthur Brooks called Strength to Strength, which is a little bit about kind of a transition from the first half of your life to the second half of your right. life. It was recommended to me by I a good friend. I actually have it sitting on my desk. I'd, I'd say read it. One okay. of the things that's in there, he talks about a lot of a lot of research that uh, Arthur Brooks uh, did in the book about life and happiness and all this stuff. And one of the things he talks about is the importance of relationships and just um, having folks around, like you and I have the benefit of our Friday group that, that meets. Um, just important, really important. You, you can get a lot of that through work and relationships at work or in the community or in your, in your church or in your wherever. But it's, I think it's, I think it's really important and totally. we've been blessed with a lot of yeah, great well, relationships. Yeah, I think you, business creates I think that. you earn them, right? Yep. I mean, it's, you, you, it's about the, it speaks to you, but. So favorite book? Bible. That's, that'd be well that's the, the spiritual yeah. one I've, I've given uh, a lot of young people getting out of school a book that my father gave me called the richest man in babylon and it's a, it's it reads like aesop's fables but it's about how to live life financially and invest in things it's really a very basic book um but it's a really interesting old book uh, richest man in babylon and then um i still say good to great on the business side is really it, it always just was so practical to me in terms of how to run a business, in terms of just the importance of people and the roles, and that is such a big part of leadership and management is people decisions. And I thought Jim Collins's book was was really was the most impactful books on the on the business front. I'm not a big reader. People used to always say, "What are you reading?" And I'd always say, "Email." But uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe now I'll be a better reader. Okay, so I I sent Melinda a text and I said, "Hey, I'm going to do this." podcast with Mike and I said give me some inside baseball this is like Uh-oh. 10 days ago yeah and she goes well, well what do you want I go well just something that you know only you know about and she goes so I'm going to give you the list okay fiercely loyal loves hmm. deeply strong faith funny hmm. silly true and make up songs so like my kids, when my kids were growing up, I would make up songs. I would sing in the shower, and I would make up songs to my kids. And um, I, I still sing them to them. I mean, and they're in their 20s. And when I see them, I, I just do it. It's just been that way. So when she told me, she told me the story about when you first met her parents. In Lakeway. And you were making up songs We were in Lakeway the at, their, at their lake house, and I I'm just in the shower. I I'd not hardly been around her parents, and I'm in the shower, and I start singing about <laughs> Tom Hale, her something that rhymed with Tom Hale. And I came out of there, and they're all kind of in the living room, just their eyes are all just bugged and kind of going, what oh, and who are you? Good. That's awesome. <laughs> Got to have a little fun along the way. Yeah, I've just, I, I used to play a little bit of guitar, so I'm trying to pick that back up so I can mess around with that with my grandkids. It's yeah. fun. Well, um, one, I, I have so much respect for you and what oh, you've accomplished. You, I just think, you know, everybody should emulate to be what you are and what you've turned into and the example you set. You know, that, that Bible study we're in on Fridays, I feel so lucky to be in that group because of the intimacy. There's guys in that group. I'm an outsider, but there's guys that have, you guys have been friends for so, so long. And, uh, and watch how you guys take care of each other and how you are just connected in its real community. And yeah. it's, it's cool to see. Well, thank so you. I, I want, I want to tell you, thank you. And uh, thank you for the mark you've made in real estate and thank you for what you're going to do going forward. And thank you for taking the time today to do this. Well, it's been a pleasure, Bill. I, I just uh, think the world, sim- very similar thoughts about you and what you've accomplished. And it's, uh, we're part of a, an incredible community and that's been the legacy of Dallas, the legacy of real estate in Dallas, and we've been so fortunate to be a participant in it. Yeah. And I and I, uh, I look forward to continue to, to stay active, and it's been fun. Yeah, so thank you. One of the things I would like to do is play more golf with you. Let's we do need it. to do that. Yeah, we'll write a song or two. You got it. <laughs> Thanks. We'll take the show on the road. <laughs> Thanks. All right, take Bye. care. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Bill Cauley and Mike Lafitte for their time and conversation, and best wishes to Mike, especially in his retirement.
Before we sign off, I'd like to remind you all again to get your tickets for our Young Guns Casino Night on Thursday, May 4th, and Bank of Texas Speaker Series with Troy Aikman on Wednesday, May 24th. You can do that over at recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. Subscribe to TrackCast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media and YouTube for the latest from around the Real Estate Council. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.